Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Mark chapter number six. Mark chapter number six. And I was I'm under strict instructions not to preach too long uh, today. And uh, from several people, I'm not going to name any names between my wife and Cherie and Mama Lou. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't do that to them <clears throat> because they wouldn't do that to me, you know. Um, but I believe the Lord has, has given me something to say. And uh, I want to I go to Mark 6, verse number 47. Mark six forty-seven. Again, while you turn that, I want to encourage you to be here Wednesday night. We're going to have a great time in the Lord. And then next Sunday, uh, Pastor and, and all of our crew that's in Israel today will be back. And you're not going to want to miss that service. Um, it's going to be a powerful, awesome service next Sunday. Amen. Mark chapter 6. I'm reading from verse number 47 in the English Standard Version. It says, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he, speaking of Jesus, was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but... When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And I want you to listen to these last few words that I'm going to read here. The Bible says Jesus comes walking on the water, calms the wind and the waves... And and listen to this very next uh, part. It says, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves. Somebody say the loaves. They were blown away by this miracle that Jesus did because they didn't understand about the loaves. I know what some of you are thinking, like what loaves? (laughs) Because... You didn't say anything about loaves, but I'm going to say something about loaves. The Bible says they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So today I I want to preach to you from this topic about the loaves. We need to have a little talk about the loaves. Because they couldn't understand. They, They couldn't believe that Jesus came walking in the middle of their storm came walking on the water and that he had the power to calm the winds and the waves because they didn't understand about the loaves. I wonder if we could just lift our hands and lift our hearts and pray. Heavenly Father, would you come into this place today? Would you begin to speak to somebody's mind, to somebody's soul, to somebody's heart through this message today? God, I pray, God, that your anointing would break every yoke, God, that you would just create a space here for us to hear from you in the name of Jesus. We pray your will be done and that your kingdom come in this place in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I want to start off by giving you a little bit of context for Mark chapter 6. The Bible says in the beginning of Mark chapter 6 that Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. He he had come to his hometown and they wouldn't receive him there. And so he shifts his ministry and sends his disciples out and gives them authority. And, and so they go out two by two and they are healing 
They're delivering, they're preaching repentance throughout the villages of the area. And the Bible says that they are laying hands on the sick and they're recovering, that they are casting devils out of people. And, and all of these things are happening. This great, uh, powerful, anointed ministry that Jesus has now given to his disciples. And the Bible says that uh, news comes that John the Baptist has been executed by Herod. It's all in there. I'm giving you the super condensed version uh, for Sister Mama Lou's sake. <laughs> it's all in there. You can go back and read. Trust me, it's in there. And, and John the Baptist dies. And John the Baptist is a public figure that the entire nation of Israel would recognize. And so, as with any great tragedy, the disciples do what people in tragedy do. is They, they leave the road, they leave the ministry, and they all return to Jesus. They come back to Jesus. They've been healing, they've been preaching, they've been seeing people delivered. But when they get news of John the Baptist's death, the Bible says they return to Jesus. And Jesus sees how tired they are. These guys have been on the road. They've been shaking the dust off of their feet when people won't receive them. They've been moving village to village, and they need some rest. Jesus sees that they're tired, that they're confused about John the Baptist's death. They, they don't understand. They've returned to Jesus for an answer. And so the Bible says that because there were so many coming in and out that they didn't even have time to sit down and eat. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, let's get out of here. Let's go away. Let's go to some desolate place where we can rest and pray. Anybody ever feel like you need to get away? Amen. I can prove to you Jesus did too. <laughs> Jesus said, let's get out of here. Let's, let's take a last minute trip. Let's go. Let's get on the road. And so the Bible says Jesus and his disciples get in a boat to uh, sail away to a desperate place. And the Bible says a funny thing happens is the people are watching Jesus every move. In fact, I'll submit to you it's a little bit creepy how much they're watching Jesus. As Jesus and his disciples get in the boat, people are on the shore watching what Jesus is doing, watching every move that he makes. And the Bible says that the people see them and they figure out where they're headed to, by which way the boat is going. And so they do what people do. It's Jesus is trying to get away and they see where he's going. And so the Bible says they run on ahead of him. And when Jesus and the disciples arrive at their location and Jesus steps out of the boat, there they are. You ever had somebody you couldn't get rid of? <laughs> Jesus did too. <laughs> he, he says, come on guys, let's go, let's go take a break. Let's go to a desolate place where nobody's at. We just need a few minutes of quiet. <laughs> just a minute to sit down and have a meal. And the Bible says that Jesus and his disciples are road weary and tired. And he steps out of the boat. And the crowds already gathered on the shore. They ran on ahead of him. They're like spiritual stalkers. They hunt Jesus down. They didn't have social media, but they were the type that they'd be checking his profile every few minutes. What's Jesus up to? Where do you think he's going next? Has he checked in anywhere? They liken everything that he said. 
I, 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 you always know when a new family member joins Facebook because they go and they like all your old pictures. They pulling up stuff from 2009. <laughs> Just stalking your Facebook. Yeah, now, I know there's no Facebook stalkers in here today. I know you don't know what I'm talking about. But they're scrolling back through his feed to see what he's been up to. See what he's been doing. See if he said anything about that thing he did the other day. And, and these people could not get enough of Jesus. Jesus tries to get away, trying to catch a little break. I know the mamas in the place can understand what I'm preaching. He just needs a minute of quiet. Just just a minute of rest, just a little time away with his disciples. But Jesus gets out of the boat and the Bible says the crowd has already gathered. The Bible says in Mark 6:34 when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, now we have all experienced running in to well-known people or famous people perhaps. And, and we know enough about them to know that they get tired of being bothered by fans. I remember a time where I met a basketball player. One of my favorite basketball players growing up in San Antonio. And he was downright rude. It kind of messed it up for me because I thought, man, I'd love to meet this guy. I'd love to talk. Hey, that was a great shot you made the other night. That was good. He doesn't want to hear it. He hears it all day, every day. And, and some of them are even downright rude. But that's not the story the Bible tells of Jesus. He's just trying to get away, just trying to catch a break. But Jesus wasn't turned off by their persistence. He wasn't annoyed by their presence. He wasn't upset that they had come where he tried to escape to. Because the Bible says Jesus looks and he sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're just wandering around. They're just lost people looking for answers. And Jesus sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. Just wandering through life looking for understanding and direction. And looking for something bigger and better than the small world and small life that they had been living in. And the Bible says that Jesus did not turn away. He didn't get back in the boat and try to escape. You know what you and I would have done? We would have pulled up to the shore and seen everybody and we would have turned the wheel and said, let's try the next place. You see all that? I don't want to deal with that. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He was... Not turned off by their uh, persistence, but he was attracted to their need. Jesus doesn't turn away. He doesn't get back in the boat and sail to some other place. Because if they were willing to seek him, then he was willing to be found. And so the Bible says Jesus stayed and taught them many things. He was tired, but he taught anyway. He was weary, but he taught them anyways. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he cared about them. And so he taught them anyway. And the hour grew late. He's teaching so much that the apostles are in the back checking their watch. Mama Lou. <laughs> Where'd she go? There she is. <laughs> I'm picking on my friend today. The hour grew late. And every preacher knows what that feels like. All of a sudden, attention starts to wane, and the apostles are like, Man, is he going to keep going? Is he going to keep teaching? It's late, and we're hungry. They're still tired. They haven't had any rest. 
They're getting hungry. I think they were in the back waving at Jesus like, that was a good point, Jesus, but let's wrap it up. Send these folks on home and live to fight another day. They're, the hour grows late. And when it grows late, the apostles finally interrupt and they say, hey, Jesus, that's some good stuff you're saying right there. But this is a desolate place. Remember, we came here because no one lives here. There's no supermarket here. There's no restaurants here. If you've ever been stuck with someone with no restaurants, you know the pain. There's nothing to eat here. And the hour is late, so send them away so they can eat. Jesus, they hungry. Look at them. And you know what they really meant? Is they really meant send them away so we can eat. Send them on, Jesus, so that we can get our rest and get our food. And Jesus responds to them and he says, well, you feed them. Why don't you feed them? And you can almost hear the sarcasm in their response. They said, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread to feed all of these people? The Bible says 5,000 people, 5,000 men had gathered there. And Jesus tells them, why don't you feed them? So smart to bring it up. Why don't you feed them? And they said, do we have 200 denarii? There's another translation that says that is eight months wages for a man. They're going to pay uh, almost a year's salary to feed one crowd in one night. And, and, and they say, don't, what are we going to do? Just pull out our big fat wallets? Jesus, we've been traveling with you. We're tired and we're hungry and we don't have enough money. And this is where the miracle begins to take shape. Because Jesus doesn't solve their problem by giving them what they don't have. Sometimes when we're in a mess, we want God to give us what we don't have. I need some money, Jesus. I need some talent, Jesus. I need you to shake something loose. I need you to rain down a blessing on me. Jesus, I need your help here. But Jesus doesn't give them what they don't have. He asks them what they do have. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And so the Bible tells us and shows us that they go through the crowd. They don't have any food. They don't have any money to take care of the problem. But they go through the crowd and they're saying, does anybody have anything to eat that we can give these people? Does anybody have any loaves with them? Does anybody have any bread with them? And I promise you that in a crowd of 5,000 people, there was at least one or two or Maybe 500 planters. They had a whole picnic basket hid behind them. Oh, we don't have nothing. (laughs) And out of all of the crowd, they find five loaves and two fish. This miracle is the only one besides the resurrection of Jesus that is recorded in all four Gospels. In John's account, the disciple Andrew says, What? is so little among so many. It seems obvious that the five loaves and two fish wouldn't go very far. It simply wasn't enough to meet the need. And so I want to preach the first point. Is it alright if we just turn on the preach for a minute here? I'm going to preach a couple points and then we're going to wrap this up. Is Number one, that the message of the loaves is this, that you're not enough is more than enough when you bring it to Jesus. 
They said, all we have is five loaves and two fishes. We can't do this. We can't make it. I don't have what it takes. That is true. As long as it's in your hands. But the miracle of multiplication begins when you're willing to give God your not enough. He says, what do you have? Five, fi- five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring it to me. Give it to me. If you'll give me, you're not enough. I'll make it more than enough. And the miracle begins not with what you have or not with what you don't have. It's when you take what you do have and you give it to Jesus. Listen. The reason we don't get excited about seeds is because we can't see the harvest in the seed. We just see the smallness of the seed. But God sees it from an entirely different perspective. God sees the harvest that's in the seed. And so what he's telling them is if you'll just give me your little bit, I can bless it, I can break it, and I can multiply it. You don't have to have everything you think you need. If you'll just give me what you do have, I'll make your not enough more than enough. Instead of letting doubt talk us out of our harvest, we need to learn to sow the seed of faith. You want to know why? Because faith tries anyways. David, the armor of Saul doesn't fit you. David, the sword's too big for you to lift. And the giant's too big for you to face. All you've got is a few rocks and a little sling. And David says, that's all right. I may not have much, but I'll use what I do have to see what God can do with my not enough. And so David throws the stone anyways. Listen, you want to know why we don't see giants fall? It's because we refuse to throw the stone that we do have. God didn't give him armor. God didn't give him all that stuff. He says, I know what I do have and what I can do. And if I'll do what I can do, God will do what I can't do. Faith, somebody say, faith tries anyway. Noah, you've never built a boat before. And besides that, there isn't any rain. But guess what? Faith builds a boat Anyways, why? Because you don't have to have it all figured out. What you've got to have figured out is one thing. Is that whatever I have is better if I put it in His hands. And so I may not have the most money. I may not have the most talent. I may not have the most knowledge. I may not have the most ability. I may not see a way out of my trouble. I may not see how I'm going to get through this. But if I'll take my not enough, God will make it more than enough. Because it's bigger and better when it's in His hands. I feel the Holy Ghost. When the task seems too hard, the mountain seems too big, and the obstacles seem too many, we need to learn that all that God is asking of us is what do you have that you are willing to give? I can use it if you'll put it in my hands. I I love the faith of the little boy because he didn't know what his mama was doing when she packed him a lunch that day. But she was giving it to the young man that would make a difference for a multitude. He was just a boy with five loaves and two fishes. What is so little among so many? I'll tell you, it's not enough. But when he gives it over to Jesus and says, do with it what you can do with it, then Jesus can make it more than enough. The Bible says that 
They brought it to him. And Jesus takes the five loaves and two fishes and looks towards heaven and blessed it and broke the loaves and began handing them out to the disciples. And as they they are seated in fifties and hundreds across this great expanse of grass, as Jesus is breaking the bread, it's multiplying. It's multiplying at the breaking point. And so Jesus feeds them and the Bible says that they go and take up twelve baskets extra. Because not in enough. Somebody say is more than enough when you put it in God's hands. And so you think you're not big enough to fix the mess that has been made of your life. Let me tell you, you're not. But if you put it in God's hands, God can do a miracle that is more than enough. He can take you through. He can make a way and he can multiply your loads. And so as Jesus Breaks the bread. The bread was broken, but it was not decreased. As it was broken, it was multiplied. And so the miracle was in the breaking. And let me tell you, when you put your life in God's hands, you can be broken, yet still not diminished. Poured out, but still full. This is how it happened in the bread. The thing that should have diminished and decreased it ended up making it into more than it was. It it reminds me of Joseph who stood before his brothers. And he said, you meant for it to break me. You meant it to me for evil. You planned it against me. You conspired to throw me in prison and in a pit and into slavery. You meant it to break me. But God meant it for good. To save even many alive. This day, Joseph well could have said, you meant for it to make me less, but God used it to make me into more. And let me tell you something. When you put it in God's hands, there are breakings that happen. There are things that you go through. There are troubles and struggles and trials that you face. But ultimately, it doesn't decrease you. It increases you. It doesn't take away from you. It adds to you. Somebody say the miracle's in the breaking. The miracle's in the breaking. Some of us are still fighting with the breaking. We don't understand why God has put us into difficult circumstances. Because it's in difficulty that His majesty is revealed. It's in difficulty that His miracle of multiplication is clearly seen. The miracle is in the breaking. And it's the stuff that would normally break us. That blesses us when we're in God's hands. It's the stuff that would normally destroy us. That propels us into our destiny when it's in God's hands. Somebody tell me the miracle is in the breaking. Do you know that it's from your broken places that God will bring your greatest ministry? It's from the places where you've been broken, where you've been hurt, that God has shown up and shown himself that you will be able to minister to other people. Understand this. When you put it in God's hands, it becomes more than it is. And it's multiplied in the breaking. Jesus broke the bread and it was multiplied. And they all ate and were satisfied. And then the disciples went out and took up 12 baskets full of fragments. One boy's not enough became more than enough because he brought it to Jesus. 5,000 were fed and 12 baskets full were remaining. And everybody goes home happy. 
Everybody's full and satisfied. Crisis averted. You don't want to deal with hungry Christians at the end of the church service. You don't want to get stuck in the traffic at Sands on the way to the restaurant after church. Everybody goes home happy. Mark 6 says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Jesus sends the crowds away, tells his disciples to sail the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus retreats up into the mountain to pray. The crowds have now dissipated, and in the quiet of a lonely mountaintop, Jesus watches as his disciples sail into a storm. He sits high above their struggle, but he sees them in their storm. And the Bible says, when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. There they are. He's up high, and they're down low, and they're struggling. Anybody ever been struggling? They're just struggling to move ahead, just struggling to make it through. He sees them struggling, fighting against the oars, the wind against them. They're making little progress, and what little progress they made came at a painful price. No pain, no gain. Heaving, pulling, and pressing on through the storm. And then, here comes Jesus. About the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on the sea, and He meant to pass them by. I love this. They're struggling in the storm on the sea. And Jesus is walking by. And said he made as if he was going to pass them by. He meant to pass them by. Here's the thing. Jesus wasn't ignoring them in their struggle. Jesus was walking on the water that they were struggling with. And he meant to pass them by. There is a difference between being bypassed and being passed by. If he wanted to bypass them, he could have gone and they would have never seen him. But he meant to pass by them. He wanted them to see him walking on the waves. He wanted them to see him unaffected by what was hindering them. He wanted them to know that he was bigger than the trouble that was troubling them. He wanted them to see that he was able to move in the midst of their storm. And they see him walking on the sea and they think it's a ghost. The Bible says they cry out. They're terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. It's I. Don't don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. How quickly things changed for them. It seemed moments ago they were collecting the fragments of a miracle. And now here they are struggling In a storm they don't even recognize Jesus in. Jesus is walking by and they don't even know that it's Him. They don't even realize who He is. What He's about. And fear can cause you to think that the one who is for you is actually against you. Anybody ever experienced that? They're getting rocked by the winds and the waves. And Jesus comes walking by, and they don't see him as their savior in the storm. They see him as a ghost that's come to make the situation worse. You know, it's bad when you're trying to paddle through a storm. But it's real bad when you're trying to paddle through a storm and a ghost has come to get you. It's real bad. But they don't even recognize Jesus in their storm. 
Fear can cause you to think that the one who's for you is actually against you. And the storm was messing with their mind. And this is the spiritual life. Great victory followed by great struggle. And so I've come to tell you today, whether you recognize it or not, Jesus is in the struggle with you. Whether you understand it and see him or not, he's in the struggle with you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forgotten you. But he is walking on the water and he's able to move in your storm. The disciples didn't recognize him. They didn't see that it was him until he spoke. And then the Bible says they recognized him. The same voice that said, how how many loaves now says to them, take heart. It's I. Do not be afraid. And his voice, it calmed their fear. And then it calmed their storm. And Jesus gets in the boat and the winds and the waves cease. And suddenly, in just a moment, they can only hear the chirping of crickets and soft lapping water against the boat. And the water dripping from their hands and their face and their hair. All of a sudden what was so intense is now pristine and still and quiet. Soaked. They're tired. Their hands are cramping from having cleaned to the oars. When in a single moment Jesus changes everything. Now... They are safe. Now they are secure. No longer threatened and no longer on the brink of disaster. And listen to this. I've said all this to come to this point. And they were utterly astounded. Blown away. Utterly astounded. Now, it's understandable to be amazed by a miracle. How many of you would have been amazed? Just wave your hand at me. Make sure there's still a pulse out there. (laughs) Utterly astounded that Jesus had walked on the water, climbed into their boat, and calmed their storm. Utterly astounded. But the Bible tells us why. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Somehow... The storm would have been different for them if the disciples hadn't missed the message behind the loaves. The message behind the miracle. Perhaps if they could grasp what it was really about when he did the miracle of the loaves, they wouldn't have been so amazed that Jesus would have showed up in their storm. And the Bible says they're astounded and they can't believe it. Because they didn't understand about the lows. I'm convinced that they were impressed by the miracle of the lows. If you were to ask them to recount the story, they would be able to go through every detail of how Jesus spoke to them. In fact, that's why we have it today. Four of them who were there recount to us the story of the lows. They knew the detail, they knew the function, the form. Of the miracle. They knew what Jesus did and how he did it. No doubt they talked about it amongst themselves, even rehashed the story to one another. They understood that Jesus was a miracle worker, but they still missed the message. The message wasn't what Jesus did, 
the message was why Jesus did it. What is the message? Why would God multiply five loaves to 5,000? Why would he make so little fulfill so many? I submit today that it is the same reason that he would come walking on the waves. It's the same reason that he will meet you in the middle of your storm. It's because he loves us far more than we could ever imagine. Because when Jesus got off of the boat, he didn't want to run away. When he sees the crowds at his vacation destination, he didn't want to run away. But he was moved to compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so hear me today that if we are hungry, he wants to be our bread of life. He said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink of the waters of life. If anyone is weary and struggling, he said, let him take my yoke upon him. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why, Jesus, why did you multiply the loaves? So that they would be impressed? No. So that people would talk about it for centuries to come? No. He did it because they were hungry and because they were lost. And he wanted to do anything and everything in his power to reach them at their weary, lost moment. It's because he loves us. And this is the message behind the miracle. Jesus loves you too much to let you be lost. He loves you too much to let you be hungry. To let you lose faith in the midst of the struggle and in the midst of the storm. He loves you too much to let you wander through life searching for answers. You are His mission. You are His motive for the miracle. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want us to stand together. I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but there's a message behind the miracles that He will do whatever it takes to save you. He will do whatever it takes to sustain you. He'll do whatever it takes to keep you. There's no length that He won't go to for those that He loves. He multiplied five loaves for 5,000 because he had compassion on them. He felt what they must have felt. And so the disciples would not have been so astounded if they for a moment could have realized how deeply they were loved by God. The disciples would not have been so amazed if they could for a moment have realized just how far he'll go to save the ones that he loves. We've got, we've got to soften our hearts. The Bible says they didn't understand because their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand. They were focused on all the what's and not the why. But I, I submit that if we'll soften our heart and if we can just open our mind to the revelation of how deeply God loves me. How deeply God cares 
for me that I won't be so amazed when he does what I cannot do and when he moves in situations that I can't move in. I won't be so astounded. I won't be so amazed because that's just how big my God loves me. That's just how deep my God loves me. Let me tell you, you can never see greater love than this. Greater love hath no man than this. Than he that would lay down his life for a friend. How much does Jesus love you? He loves you enough that he went to the cross. And he took on your sins. And he took on your shame. And so what is a storm to a Savior that's headed to a cross? What is your storm to a Savior that loves you that much? I don't know who's here today that has been struggling to believe this, but you need to hear that God loves you. I wonder if we can lift our hands all across this house. We're going to get ready for the Spirit to work and Spirit to move. I want our praise singers to come. Heavenly Father, right now I pray, God, that in the midst of the battering storms that somebody's facing, God, that your word, that your voice would be heard in somebody's storm today. God, I pray right now that in the middle of somebody's mess, God, that you would begin to move, that you would begin to speak. God, that you would begin to show somebody that everything that you've been doing on their behalf and every time that you come through, it's because you love them deeply and you are for us and not against us. God, I pray right now, God, that doubt would begin to melt away. That fear would begin to melt away. God, that that pain and suffering would begin to melt away as we begin to see how deep your love is for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray over somebody's mind today, God, that you would deliver them from doubt and help them to see how great and how deep your love is for us. I'm going to open these altars right now as our praise singers begin to sing. I wonder if somebody wouldn't just come and share a moment with God today and say, Lord, help me to understand. Help me to understand that you can help me when my not enough is not enough, Lord. You're more than enough. God, help me to understand that even when I'm in the storm, you're bigger than my storm. But God, above it all, help me to understand that you love me and that you gave yourself for me. I wonder if you would come down right now. Would somebody step out of the aisle, in the aisle, and just come down and lift up your hands? Can we just take a few moments and worship Him around this altar that He loves us, He cares for us, that He's willing to do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter how messed up your life is, how deep in sin you've been stuck, how far from God you felt. He loves you enough, big enough, that you're not enough doesn't matter. He loves you big enough that no matter how far, how deep you are, that He can pull you out of your storm and He can speak peace to your situation. Would you come as our praise singers sing right now?